Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti at Commander's Palace Restaurant. Welcome to Out to Lunch, the show about New Orleans business. The last decade in New Orleans has seen us go from almost wiped off the face of the earth to one of the most popular cities in the country. We have a booming business climate, a housing market that's on fire, and a whole new generation of young people who are moving here and transforming large segments of the city. So what's next? How do we capitalize on where we are today and turn a boom into a new normal? For that to happen, there are two elements that have to work together. One is the bigger picture of the city being a great place to live. That's all about crime, education, potholes, and so on. And the other element is personal. Can a regular person make a good enough living here to carve out a career, save money, and thrive? My guests on today's Out to Lunch are involved in answering one of these questions each. Dana Ennis deals with the big picture. Dana is the executive director of the Urban Conservancy. The Urban Conservancy believes that the secret to our continued success is maintaining the historic fabric of New Orleans. They say that it's what gives us a strong and resilient local economy reverses decades of out-migration by attracting young, talented individuals to the city and nurtures local culture. Dana, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks so much for having me. It seems to me, when I talk to people, um, that the people that are moving in, the kind of people we're talking about, tend to be want to move, they're more downtown, uptown, less than across the lake. Is there my, Do I have it right? I think people are drawn to to the city center, and that's not just in New Orleans, that's across the country we're seeing this urban in-migration. Uh, people are, are attracted to the city life, the live-work-play model, and uh, New Orleans is certainly benefiting from that as well. So we're seeing people that are specifically attracted to moving back in, and that coincides with improvements in transit and connectivity and uh, retail options, all of those things that make a place livable. My other guest sitting across the table is Blair DeKenne. Uh, Blair is the founder and CEO of Ignite Investments and Planning, a personal financial planning company geared toward the young professionals who are moving here and the kids growing up here who in the past would normally have left. Uh, Blair, thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. Now, I was in, I've been in the investment business for a long time, and somebody must have come up to you early on and said, Blair, you're doing it wrong because it's the older people that have all the money to invest. I mean, how do you, you're going, a, going at it a different way. Absolutely. In fact, when I told many people about my business strategy, I was very happy, in fact, that a lot of people told me that I was doing it completely wrong because I know that I'm serving an underserved market and I'm doing something different, and I take that as a good sign. Now, Blair, let's start with looking at this from the ground up. Uh, it's one thing to move here as an idealistic college grad. It's another to buy a house, put down roots, raise a family, and expect all the advantages and opportunities you'd find in, say, Boston or San Francisco. What do you tell young professionals their chances are of pulling 
all this off here in New Orleans? Mm, it's something I've considered myself. And you really do have to find a niche strategy. There aren't as many traditional jobs here for young professionals as there are in other cities. So you have to find a specialty and a niche that, it, that you're good at above anyone else. And that's where, the, how you stand out from the crowd. As clients, what are they like? I mean, they have special needs. We, uh, we had a great show about a month ago where we had a songwriter on from Nashville. And he had, of course, received royalties on, on uh, songs he writes. And he was saying that he had to go to a speci special financial planner that would understand that kind of odd cash flow. You're dealing with the same thing in a way. I mean, you're dealing with people with very unique situations. Yes, the traditional model is to serve the retirees who are saying, how much can I save for, how much can I take out for retirement? When can I retire? How when should I take Social Security? Younger people have completely different questions. Probably number one is, how do I pay off my student loans as fast as I can? How do I save for a house? Um, how do I get the highest return in my investment portfolio as I can? So it's a completely different subset of financial planning issues with younger clients. So you're dealing with both the, uh, the spending and the, and the savings and the investments, the whole, the whole package. Absolutely. That is a great. You know, I, for, for a number of years, I was the investment instructor for the New Orleans Saints players. And I used to teach six weeks on investments. And then the NFL told me that we ought to spend three weeks on saving and spending. You know? <laughs> so there's a, you must have the same thing with, you, with, uh, with young people in here. Now, Dana, one of the questions we hear asked about our newfound economic success as a city is who's responsible for it? Some people say it's groups like Idea Village and your Urban Conservancy and that they're the ones that have changed the local economic landscape. Others explain it simply as a post-Katrina disaster cycle plus the nationwide economic rebound and that groups like Idea Village and yourself are just riding a rising tide. What do you think? Are you riding a tide? You're making waves? I, I don't know how we got into all surfing metaphors, but uh, they, uh, what, what do you think? I, I think uh, that besides, um, I mean, I, all of the above. I mean, there is a tide. There is a flow of dollars coming in now that we've been waiting for a long time, and we're seeing that in what's happening in terms of the construction boom and the street improvement boom. That's, that's post-Katrina dollars. Those dollars are coming in in large part because of, of what happened then. But that is not to say that we are not on a trajectory, a very positive trajectory. And it's, it's, we've learned a lot of lessons from Katrina. We've learned a lot about resiliency, about collaboration, about community. Uh, those are all lessons that, um, those are gifts to us um, that other communities are waiting to, to discover. But I think that's moved us forward and it's infused a lot of our efforts and our rebuilding uh, efforts with, with a new energy. And that's what you see when you see organizations like Propeller and Idea Village and the folks that are really reaching out and creating a very vibrant local economy environment for the new folks coming in, as well as the folks that have been here all along. And where are the new folks coming? Are they, uh, is the warehouse district kind of mecca for these new folks? Or? Well, actually, you know, one thing that is, I think it's important important to know is all the urban conservancy uh, we are about place making we are about place preserving but a third part of our mission is really about uh, local economies and and I, I wanted to to mention this because it, it ties into these folks that are coming in as well as new graduates that we want to hold on to and um, and uh, keep here and that is that um, we have a system that was really designed for an, a, an investment system that was really designed for a different generation, a different era, a lot of the folks that are moving here, regardless of the neighborhood that they're moving here, they're very place focused. They're moving here because of what New Orleans offers as a place. And what we have to realize is we have a $15 trillion GDP. Half of that comes from local 
small businesses, if, if seven and a half trillion dollars of our local GDP is coming from local small businesses, we have a $30 trillion um, long-term savings within the American economy, but less than 1% of that is making it to these local uh, businesses. So we're, we've got $30 trillion in long-term savings, that's our, our mutual funds, our 401ks, our, our life insurance, but less than 1% is, of that is making it to Main Street. All arrows point to Wall Street. And folks that are moving here, um, folks that live here, of course they want to live comfortably, but they want to do good as well as doing well. So when they're making their investment decisions, they are really looking at how can they do both? How can they benefit themselves and ensure for their security, long-term security, while at the same time doing good for the for the city. And Blair, earlier on, uh, before we started, we were talking about how it's a pretty reasonably priced city to live in. Uh, is that one of the things that's attracting these folks in here? Absolutely. And getting back to how do we bring more money into the city, I rent space down in the launch pad, which is in the Idea Village building. And I really think that the answer to this is going to be these young technology entrepreneurs and innovators one of them is going to have a billion dollar company and it's going to build jobs and and they're loyal to new orleans because they were able to come here live on next to nothing not earn an income for one two three years until the business gets off the ground and i really think that's our new avenue Um, the businesses that we have tourism uh, marine these are here to stay um, but these new entrepreneurs are i think are what really is going to bring the the new lifeblood into the city now that would seem like a, a pretty nice uh, pie of uh, of uh, economic uh, background to head, keep the traditional pieces we've had, which is you know energy, marine, mm-hmm. uh, and and tourism, but to add add the the tech side to it. That would that would be great. The people you're seeing that are uh, maybe might be new to the city, um, what are their what are their some of their their questions? Uh, you know, in terms of. Uh, the city and its livability and, and earning a living. I mean, what do you tell them? Because you moved here from somewhere else. So yes. I think you're kind of in a unique place to answer them, right? Yes. Well, you know, the main questions are how can I make enough to save some, you know, to get myself into a position where I can either make a big purchase in a home. And I think there's a huge opportunity here in the real estate market as well. There's still a lot of neighborhoods that are on the fringe and that are being gentrified. And a lot of young people are taking advantage of these low-cost homes. Um, Let's give our listeners a real plus here. What would those be? <laughs> no, I am not a real estate investor oh, expert this is by what they any always, means. These disclaimers, I'm not going to stand for that. What do you think? Like the, you maybe talking about like the Bywater, the Marini, that kind of place? Or? I think those have already happened. Oh, okay. I, I think, you know if I was to really take a stretch in the next few years, areas like the 7th Ward, you know, north of there, um, there are still parts of Mid-City down by the new hospitals that are going in that I think are really going to be huge opportunities um, because of their proximity to downtown in the French Quarter. And don't forget about opportunities along the incoming Lafitte Greenway, too, which spans the entire city and is is sort of an unknown um, as yet on the, you know, people are starting to understand what that potentially could mean in terms of investment mm-hmm. dollars, but there's a lot of possibility along the Greenway. And when you name your Greenway after a pirate, I think that's a, that's a really, <laughs> that says a lot about a town. It really does. Now, it's time to do the checklist, and this is the part of the show where we ask you a couple of questions that probably wouldn't show up on a loan application. And I'll start with, uh, I will start with Blair on this. If you could change one thing about New Orleans, what would it be? Well, it's already happening, but I would change the people who are, are born and embedded here, their, their attitude to more of acceptance towards all of this new blood. And, and 
I preface that with the fact that that's already starting to happen, and, and I think that's a positive. Is there kind of a, a rift or a misunderstanding between the, the new economy, low, old economy here? I don't think it's a rift more than simply a difference in, in opinion as on, on the way of life. People love their traditions here, um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. And so they tend to stick with the same crowd that they yeah. always have. And so I don't think there's necessarily any animosity. It's just people not breaking out of their comfort zone. That's it. We ought to have more parties, just mixers. That's what we, that's what we ought to do. And, <laughs> and uh, Dana, what, what, what would you change, the one thing you'd change in the city? Now, this isn't specific to New Orleans. Okay, this might be just the universe? This is, yeah, th this okay. is a whole wide universe. But if it were to happen in New Orleans, that entrepreneur, that tech entrepreneur that Blair mentioned, if the, the um, regulations that would enable somebody to create a Kickstarter-like uh, community portal that would also enable the young folks that live here to invest and receive a return on their investment in addition to a t-shirt or something as a donation, uh, which is what Kickstarter does. If that could happen, if we could make sure that that takes place, we could see a completely new sort of city, new investment in the city, and the ability for folks to be economic activists in more ways than just as consumers, but also as investors, where they're really investing in the city that they want to see. So we're working very hard to see that that happens. And is that, uh, that's probably a pretty good description. Do we need a local Kickstarter? Is that what we... We, I think we have a lot of those right now. Um, we don't, what we don't have is um, a v variation on that where we can actually be making a return on our investment as simply and as elegantly as Kickstarter is set up to do. So that's the next step. This is the time we check the inbox and our producer picks a question that's come in uh, during the week. Uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, we have a question here for Blair and one for Dana Blair. This is about real estate, this question from Steve Shell, who is talking about real estate as an investment rather than just a house to live in. He said, I'm hearing about investors coming to New Orleans from outside the state and buying up properties. The real estate market is rising. Are you advising clients to buy New Orleans real estate as a long-term investment? In general, I believe that buying a home is a home and not an investment. Um, I'm not a fan of speculation in investment uh, in real estate. And... If you're in the market to buy a home that may also have an income property, I think it's a wonderful opportunity, uh, especially given that interest rates are so historically low right now. But I would not recommend someone trying to, quote unquote, flip a property or take on too much debt to take on multiple properties or take any sort of speculative type risk in the real estate market. Yeah, those are two different things, aren't they? they uh, and I will point out that Blair is a chartered financial analyst. It's the top of the game. So... You know what you're talking about. That's um, where we first met. I'm glad to be with someone who knows what that means. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dana, here's a question for you from Gwen Francini. I love this question because it's sort of um, edgy, where does the, which we don't specialize in here. Where does the urban conservancy stand politically? For example, is your opinion that yanking licenses from music clubs and shutting down music in the quarter is conserving our way of life or destroying it? Ooh, hot Ooh. seat question. <laughs> uh, politically, I would say what we're, we're looking at, what we're drawn to are issues that are embraceable across the political spectrum. And that our state local initiative founded in 2003, about five years, we all talk about buy local as if we've always been talking about buy local. And that hasn't always been the case. But what we're trying to get at through uh, 
uh, the buy local program is this idea that it has nothing to do with where you stand politically. It's it's you know it's Tea Partyists and and um, um, Occupy Wall Street um, activists alike can appreciate the value of a strong, thriving local economy. You know, I want to ask you a question that's a little bit of a non sequitur here, but I, what makes a downtown livable? You know, I, for instance, when I, for me, when the Rouses opened in the warehouse district, that was, that was like a, a big step. Uh, well, what is it that makes makes a place livable? A grocery store is really? definitely so a the food huge. desert thing is a big deal. You have absolutely, it's huge. So I live in the the River Bend, and so many conversations are, oh, it's so perfect. If only we had a grocery store. We're spoiled. We have one at, at Claiborne and in Carrollton now. Um, but but the the fact is, a grocery store is an incredibly important anchor, and then you'll see other businesses begin to to rise around those things. But it having access to the goods and services within walking distance or biking distance is really important for, to So to, to not have to get in the car is, is another part it's of some, That's part of what draws people to that urban lifestyle is not having to drive everywhere. Let's take a look at our lunch money. Lunch money is our out-to-lunch stock portfolio. We're dealing with a, a pretty terrific market. Everybody is uh, on pins and needles about whether the Fed is going to uh, not be as accommodating as they've been in the past, but uh, my personal feeling is that they're even when the Fed tightens up a little bit, uh, I think it'll be viewed as a positive to the markets because it'll show that the Fed, who knows things, thinks the economy can stand on their own, which is going to be great. And, you know, I've met people from the Fed. And um, now I admit it, sometimes I meet politicians and I, I get scared. But, um, but when I meet people from the Fed, I mean, they're, they're smarter than I am. They have less body fat. They're, really, um, they're really very great, great <laughs> folks. Have some faith. They, they've done a great job on this recovery. I'm going to ask you each for a, for a stock pick for our portfolio. Uh, I'll... I'll, I'll start with you, Blair. Well, I hope this isn't a cop-out. I picked an ETF. Okay, because I which wanted, is an exchange-traded fund. Yes, an right. exchange-traded fund. And the reason I chose this is because I wanted to pick something that young investors who are maybe trying to save their first $500 could buy. Uh, and one stock is just too much risk for your first $500. Very good. So I went with VTI, Victor Tom Indigo, and that's the Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF. There are over 3,000 stocks. So this isn't just an S&P 500 or your traditional uh, mutual fund with a couple hundred stocks. So you're really getting exposure to the entire U.S. stock market by buying this ETF. Wow, that's a, that is a big portfolio. Yes. That is, uh, I remember Peter Lynch that managed the Magellan Fund. He was always famous for having a lot of stocks in his portfolio. And they asked him one day, they said, how many stocks are in your fund? He goes, I don't know, but I have 120 companies that begin with the word first. <laughs> so it's somebody else. Kinda, well, that'll be good. We don't, we've never had an ETF. Thank you for, for bringing that Dana, what are you going to give us? Okay, well, I am going to give you Eileen Fisher, the women's clothing line, uh, because uh, definitely she knows what she's doing and she has beautiful clothes. I wish I could afford them. But in addition to that, I think, and more importantly, is that the vision behind her success is about community, collaboration. You know when you're buying that um, item of clothing, that it's, it's sourced responsibly, that the folks who made it have been make, are earning a living wage and that they're working in good working conditions and those are all things that are important to me now i find a lot of people and early a couple of former guests that have talked about that's a consideration for them going forward your clients blair do they they care about what this company's values are before they invest in them some of them 
Some do, some don't. Um, my investment strategy is very passive. I believe the market return is wonderful, and so why wouldn't you just want to get it? And so a lot of my portfolios have thousands of stocks in them, um, although there are mutual fund offerings um, from the companies that I work with that have what's called socially responsible funds that only invest in certain types of industries and stocks that meet uh, certain criteria on that level. Well, that's good. that is great. That is a, certainly a big trend. Uh, Dana Ennis, Blair DeCanay, you're both working on either end of keeping the drive alive, turning the new New Orleans into something we can, in the near future, just call New Orleans. Thanks for everything you're doing, and thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Thanks so much for Thank having you. me. Thank you. Appreciate having you. It's fun. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been uh, Dana Ennis, Executive Director of the Urban Conservancy, and Blair DeCanay. She's the founder and CEO of Ignite Investments and Planning. To find out more about the Urban Conservancy and Ignite Investments, uh, follow the links on our sites. That's www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our technical producer is Chris Keogh. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. The provocative Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. On itsneworleans.com, you can join our mailing list and keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to past shows and get this show as a podcast on itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, and Eris Studio monitors and more. More information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rusciutti. I look forward to meeting you again next week for Out to Lunch Around the Table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.